good for most of the regular season. We've seen these teams make magical runs, and all it takes is, like I said, being good enough for three games in a row. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT. JT, how are you? Happy Friday. I'm good. Happy Friday. Another end to a work week. Feeling good, but have to be feeling like a little bit optimistic this week that hopefully the Titans can turn it around in such a big game. I'm not sure that Titans fans are. I think that they've kind of bottomed out in terms of their morale this year. You know, obviously you start 0-2 and things aren't going great, but then they reel off seven wins in the coming months. And I think that this fan base went from in the preseason being very pessimistic about this team's chances in the postseason to having some hope. Well, the last three games have sucked all of that hope from the fan base in, in my view, at least. And, and it kind of seems like everybody has accepted that this is a lost season and moved on. I think that that's a bit premature. Here's a little philosophy take from old Uncle Easton. This is not where I plan to go at the top of the show today, but I do find it interesting. And I was talking to Mike Herndon today about it, um, actually off the air when we were recording his show, which, by the way, shameless plug, the Mike Herndon show out and available now as of Thursday night. You can go and watch that. and It's great this week. We were talking about how many fans, it's very binary, and this is not shocking, especially on the internet, Internet, right? Everything is binary. It's all in or all out. There's only two ways that something can go. There's no nuance whatsoever. There's no gray area. And that applies to NFL teams and fan bases in the playoffs, right? If you don't see your team as a number one contender capable of winning the Super Bowl or getting a bye or, or whatever it may be, you seem to think that everything is lost, especially if you're a team that is used to success, which believe it or not, at this point, the Titans and their fan base are used to success. They've had nothing but success under Mike Vrabel the past half decade. And so when you go from a team in the past two or three years that these fans thought had every opportunity to win the Super Bowl, you know, they go to the conference, the conference championship game in 2019 and 2020, they host a playoff game for the first time in years. Last year, they're the number one overall seed. This year, it's kind of a step back, but I don't think it's a step back in the way that many fans see it. Many fans seem to think that this is a lost season already. And my philosophy, and the, and the reason why it has always irked me and always annoys me when, and you get this a lot in the offseason, the content around the idea of these are the teams that can win the Super Bowl. These are the teams that definitely can't. And these are the teams that will be in the playoffs and the teams that won't. Here are the teams that um, are good enough to win it all and, and the teams that may make it into the playoffs, but they just there's no way they can win it all. I think that that kind of definitive take-making, and you get it in the preseason and all through the regular season, is really foolish because in the NFL, JT, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's actually not seven-game series in the playoffs. It's actually winner goes on and loser goes goes home. It is really not a matter of luck or flukiness, but you only have to be good enough for three hours, three times to get to the Super Bowl in the playoffs. And th that is something that we've seen in the past from teams that aren't the best team in the tournament. The NFL is beautiful in that way in, in the sense that, and you get this every regular season weekend, but you certainly get in the playoffs as well. 
a lot of times the better team does not win. And so we've seen teams in the past that are six and seven seeds in the playoffs, teams that like the Bengals last year got hot at the right time and weren't very good for most of the regular season. We've seen these teams make magical runs and all it takes is, like I said, being good enough for three games in a row. The Titans have been not good enough for three games in a row, but we've seen them be good enough for more than three games in a row earlier in the season. Now, granted, against worse teams than they would face in the playoffs, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm expecting them to make a run in the playoffs. I'm not. But it's a matter of probabilities, not definitive takes, right? It's not so definitive that the Titans cannot or will not do something in the playoffs. You may very well think they won't, and that's within your rights. And I think if you're playing the odds, the odds are they won't make a run. Again, I'm not banking on or betting on them doing that. But I think with very few exceptions, any team that gets into the playoffs, just getting your foot in the door of the tournament is enough to give you a chance, a fighting chance at making a run. And again, it's all about getting hot at the right time. So I like that beautiful simplicity of the NFL. The fact that you can't really know what's going to happen and there's always going to be upsets in the playoffs and teams that you don't expect to go as far as they do go as far as they do. That's one of the most beautiful things about the NFL to me as a fan. And it always has surprised me how willing fans are to throw that away when their team is going to get a chance in the playoffs, but they don't think that they're the best team in the playoff. That, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be a, a hard gate keeping you from having any faith in your team or any hope in your team making a run at the right time. So, that's a diatribe that I didn't expect to go down, but it is something that I thought all season long. And it's, it's bothered me when, when I hear these takes about teams that can and can't win this or that uh, it's the NFL. Anything can happen in any given game. We're talking this week about the game that the Titans are playing in week 15, which is in LA against the chargers, a big one, a very, very important one in terms of playoff implications for both the chargers and the Titans. Now, a lot of the run up to this game has been talking about, injury status. And frankly, that's been the conversation for the Titans and Titans fans for multiple years in a row. Now, in a moment here at the top of the show, we're going to get into a graphic that has been on Twitter on a recurring basis for two years now that is really helpful in seeing just how beat up different NFL teams are as compared to how well they're doing in the regular season. And the Titans once again lead um, pretty much all teams in a category of their own in terms of injuries this year. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But first, two guys that are injured and on the injury report, and I would say unlikely to play this weekend, although you never know. Traylon Burks and Danico Autry are two guys that have been talked about in Titans media circles this week relatively frequently. And the discussion is centered around the idea of who is more important for this team to get back right now. Is it pass rush help with Danico Autry on the defensive line? Or is it wide receiver help with Traylon Burks, the only wide receiver the Titans have that is a reliable man beater on the offense to give the passing game a spark? Obviously, both players are very significant role players on their given side of the ball, and they both would be fantastic for the Titans to have back. Ultimately, they're hoping to have both back in time for the playoff push. But... In terms of the next three or four weeks, and again, we may not see either of these guys this week or the following week. We may not see either of them until the playoffs. We don't know. With with Traylon Burks, it's reasonable to assume that he'll be out this week. He's not practiced at all. But 
with his second game missed this upcoming weekend due to the concussion protocol, assuming he misses the game, odds are, unless it was a really, really gnarly concussion, he'll be back the following week. And if not, then almost certainly the following week, because being out for a month with, with a concussion means you got, I mean, you got rocked, man. And, and granted he did. It looked like he was out cold for a, a while on the turf, but he's a young guy. He's resilient. It sounds like he's talked to people on the team and in the coaching staff after the game and in the weeks since then. And it sounds like he's doing all right. So again, I'd be shocked if he's out much longer. Danico Autry, he's actually practiced a couple days this week, which we'll talk about more with producer JT in the news. I still am not optimistic that he'll play, but the the question that is being presented, which is more important, I think is a very clear one. And I think many fans are unfortunately mistaken when it comes to what the correct answer is here. JT, I meant to pull these stats for the show today. And then when I sat down a couple of minutes ago on Thursday night to prep for the show, I realized that our friend and our colleague, Zach Lyons over at, at F words podcast, football and other F words, as well as one of our great writers at probably actually pulled all of these stats already today in his injury report review. And so that saved me a lot of time. Shout out Zach, but we are going to talk about it. And I, I pulled both of the charts that he made. So if you could throw those up, JT, I want to take a look at the splits for the Titans between when these guys have been in the game and when they've been out. This is Danico Autry, and the numbers are really, really astonishing. The Titans were averaging around three sacks a game before he left. And in the weeks since he's been gone, I believe since the Packers in week 12 or 13, they have had three sacks total. So the pass rush has been completely MIA without him. The EPA per play is astonishing. The Titans without Autry, almost the very worst in the league, also among the worst in overall success rate. They were borderline top 10 and top three in those two categories with him. In pass EPA per play, they were 12th overall with Autry, dead last without him. Pass success rate, ninth with Autry, 31st without him. Rush EPA per play, second with him, seventh without him. So the rushing game, the the run stopping game rather, hasn't been hit nearly as hard, but still significant to not have him in the interior as a run stopper. The rush success rate, they were the first overall in the entire league, eighth now without him. Pressure per game. They were averaging almost 23 pressures per game with Danico Autry in the lineup. And without him, they're averaging less than half of that, 12, 12 per game. His points allowed, or the Titans rather, points allowed per game of 18.5 has ballooned to almost double, 30.3 without him. And finally, yards allowed per game, the Titans allowing less than 350 with Autry and now almost 420 per game without him. It's astonishing how much this defense rides on the back of a guy who, frankly, should be too old for this. It's kind of astonishing and under-talked about just how great Danico Autry has been playing despite the fact that he's on the wrong side of 30 and he's been in the league for a long, long time. He's having, I think, before he went out with his injury this year, and I'd have to look at the stats to know for sure, but if not his best season of all time this year, it is one of his best seasons of his career, and they need him back desperately. Now, Traylon Brooks on the other side of the ball, if you can go to the next slide, he's important. Don't get me wrong. And as a rookie, I think things have increased exponentially as the seasons have gone on in terms or the weeks rather have gone on in terms of how important he is to this roster. But when you look at the splits for him, and it's a little more complicated because you have the first four weeks with him, 
when he wasn't getting a whole lot of play. Then without him in weeks five through nine, the next four weeks, then he came back for two weeks in weeks or three weeks, rather weeks, 10 through 12. That's when he really blew up. And then last week without him against Jacksonville, we'll kind of look, I won't read off everything here, but you can see that things certainly for the Titans of uh, Titans offense have gotten worse without Traylon Burks in the lineup, but they haven't been disastrous in the way that the loss of Danico Autry has been for the defense. For example, the EPA per play and really Burks weeks 10 through 12, I think are the indicator here that matters most again in weeks one through four, he was healthy, but he was a rookie in his first four games in his first month. He did not get much run at all in weeks 10 through 12. He ballooned this offense's EPA up to 10th best in the league. They've plummeted back to 21st without him. Their overall success rate um, was much better with him in in weeks 10 through 12 than it was without him before that when he was on his first injury stint. The passing EPA. Holy cow. They were 32nd dead last in the league without him in weeks five through nine, went up to fourth in the league from dead last to fourth when he returned and have gone back down to 24th in their game without him. Pass, pass success rate in the weeks before he returned for the first time, they were dead last 32nd. They went up to fifth in weeks 10 through 12 rush EPA per play. He also increased their ability to, to run the ball somewhat. And uh, we also saw, Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The total points per game went up um, significantly with the sample size, I'd say, to go up a point and a half from the first nine weeks to weeks 10 through 12. That's a, a step in the right direction at the very least. Their yards per game went up dramatically. They weren't even near 300 yards per game before they got him back in weeks 10 through 12. All of this is to say, we saw Traylon Brooks come into this lineup and things were helpful, right? It, it, the the offense got a passing game for the first time in what felt like months and months and months, if not years. It's not nearly the impact that Danico Autry has had. And I think the numbers very clearly bear that out. Again, thanks to Zach for compiling these numbers and uh, saving me from having to do them myself. But Autry is the clear and obvious answer here. And not only is he the obvious answer in a vacuum, but I think when you look at the overall landscape, of this defense, it is so barren. And we spent all of Monday talking about the, the triage that this offense or this defense rather has gone through. Things are so rough for them that getting their linchpin back, the, the stir that, that, that makes this drink work. The, the, what, what is that saying? The straw that stirs the drink for this defense. That's Danico Autry. And without him, it's been very clear that they can't accomplish much of anything on the defensive end. On the offensive side of the ball, without Burks, things are much rougher in the passing game, but they have not fallen apart. And I think a big credit there, frankly, JT, is the addition of Chig, in, well, not addition, but the the uh, ignition of Chig and the ignition of Austin Hooper in the past month or so. Both of these guys, frankly, it's not great when your two tight ends are the best receivers on the team. But without Traylon Brooks out there, I think right now they are the best receivers on the team, if not just as good as the best options the Titans have in the passing game. So that's a big part of the reason why it's not been great without Traylon, but it's not been a disaster. So I think that Autry is the guy you should want back first. And frankly, based on the way that they're trending in terms of their injury, kind of sounds like Autry might be the guy you get first. Now, that's not to say he'll come back and be 100%. And I think that's an interesting conversation, JT. Let me pose this question to you. If Autry, after practicing limited this week, had 
you know, the ability to go out and play and you're, you're in charge of these things, advising the players and the coaches as to who should and shouldn't play based on their injury. Would you have him go out and play in this chargers game? Even if he's on a limited snap count or maybe not be his full self, or will you save him and make sure he's ready to go for the Jaguars game in week 18? If it were to come down to that. I mean, you have to look at it two ways here. I, the answer for me is probably not. I wouldn't have him go, mostly because of what you said. It's better to have him for the stretch and not uh, be able to re-aggravate that injury in this game, and he's basically out until if you happen to make the playoffs. I, I think you would rather have him for that pivotal Week 18 game if it comes down to that. I think another side of the ball here is that the Chargers are not really known for a team that runs the ball a lot. They have yeah. Austin Eckler, who was a dynamic running back, but it, you're, not, the you're not going to scheme it to the, to the way in which Austin, you're going to stop the Chargers by blocking the run because they just don't do it a lot. Austin Eckler does a lot of his damage through the air, and I think that's where the Titans' heads are at anyways this week. I think they're one of the top five passing attacks in the league um, just on personnel alone. So I don't really think... Autry, if he played this week, would be that big of an impact anyways. That's kind of where my head is at. And it's a, it's a tricky question because, you know, whenever he does come back, he can sustain an injury and, and things could go south. But you obviously would like him to get as healthy as possible because, again, he is going to be necessary down the stretch. And you need, 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 need him in Jacksonville for week 18 if it comes down to that. And so... I think it'll be an, inter an interesting conversation that's had in that building, whether or not they decide to roll him out this week or next, or if they decide to keep him on the shelf for a couple of weeks to make sure he's good and ready. Now, speaking of injuries, let's look at this last thing before we get into the news, JT. This is from mangameslost.com, and they've got a Twitter account that I love. They put out this graphic each and every week, and their website, I think they actually have a, a detailed breakdown of all of these things. This is a representation of just how beat up teams have been this season, quantified by how many man games lost they have. So if you have four starters out in a game, that counts as four man games, right? It, it's, it's the cumulative number of games missed by the cumulative number of men who've missed them. They've also quantified this by bubble size, and the bubble size is re representative of the quality of players that the teams have been missing. And so the bigger the bubble, like Buffalo or San Francisco, who've lost really significant guys, San Francisco's case, their quarterbacks. In Buffalo's case, their star pass rusher and some key uh, pieces in the secondary and the safety position. In other teams' positions, like, let's see, Philadelphia, the Jets, the Vikings, the Chiefs, their bubbles are very small. It's because they've not really lost anybody of much significance. When you look at Tennessee leading the pack, and if you, you were following this team and following this statistic last season, it looked just like this. First of all, you, you're not supposed to be able to be a blue bubble and be at the front of the, the pack like that. Look at where all the other blue bubbles are. Those are all the division leaders. They're all back in the healthier range. They're not at the front of the line with the Arizonas, the New Orleans, the Seattles, the Giants, the Denvers, the Detroits. Tennessee, in a literally in a segment of their own at the front, well north of 225 total team uh, man games missed. They shouldn't be able to be blue, and yet they are. They also shouldn't be able to be in a, a league of their own like that. Who else is even remotely near them? 
Denver, who's who's lost tremendous pieces on both sides of the ball all year and have been a relative dumpster fire. How are these two teams related in any way? Besides the fact that they both have lost so many key elements of their team. It's astonishing. And, and I don't know how the Titans get out of this injury hell that they found themselves in for two years in a row. The easy and frankly lazy answer has been, and I've been guilty of this for a better part of the last two years, just demanding answers from the people in charge of the team in regards to what is going on with this training staff. What is going on with the health and safety that they've got going on in this building, their medical personnel, their trainers, who are these people? What are they doing? And frankly, what are they doing wrong? Because other teams don't get beat up like this. I think that that's a lazy take now. I think that the correct answer or the correct demand from fans shouldn't be fire these people. We need less of these people. We need to replace these people, but rather we need more of these people. I get the impression from some conversations that I've had and some people that I've listened to who I trust and are close to the organization that this team, you know, let's face it. We know that they are not big on new age, modern analytics based information. That's not how they operate. This is a team that had a zero man analytics department until 10 seconds ago. And now they have one guy who's not particularly renowned in the analytics community for his abilities. This is a team that was until 10 seconds ago, run by a duo of John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, who are poster boys for old school, rough nosed, classic NFL football, manalytics, rub some dirt in it. You'll be all right. Tough guys. That's been the brand of this team. And it's been to their, you know, credit for a lot of different reasons when it comes to their success in tough situations, when they've been outmatched, all of these things, a big part of their culture revolves around that ethos. And it's been a good thing when it comes to analytic information and rather being informed by analytics and taking that into account when you make these important decisions, that's where this hurts them. And I think that it applies in the same way that it does to their analytics community um, adherence, their, their ability to take analytics into, into account when they're making decisions in a game. And then that also applies, frankly, to their medical approach, their training approach. I think that this team needs more modern sports science individuals involved in the building, in the training regimen, in the weightlifting room in the medical personnel's office. They need these guys who know what they're talking about in terms of what's the most cutting edge way for us to keep these teams safe and healthy. I think that the, some of these teams like Kansas city and Philadelphia and Buffalo green Bay, Jacksonville, Minnesota, they have leadership and ownership that are pretty modern minded in that way. And it wouldn't shock me at all if the way that they approach their health and safety is a lot different than the way that teams like Denver and Baltimore and Seattle and Tennessee operate. I just think that this team needs more medical personnel and not less. And that's where my mind has changed in recent weeks. And I think that it'd be wise for fans to kind of agree on that front. Before we move on from that graphic, JT, throw it up one more time. I just have to point out, and I'm, I'm done with my rant, but Jacksonville, I mean, holy cow, I'm here to report that the Jacksonville Jaguars have under They've undergone one stuffy nose and two paper cuts this NFL season. I mean, how in the world their bubble doesn't even exist. It's I mean, you have to get out your magnifying glass to even see the speck 
that exists for this Jaguars team all the way at the left-hand side of the chart. They are in a league of their own in the sense that they've had nobody get injured. I mean, I'm impressed and convinced that this team has had zero injuries ever because that's what it looks like. And frankly, I think from a karma perspective, they maybe do like nine ACL tears in the month of December because this is unreal just how healthy they've been. Okay, that's it from me. And that's it from my rantings from the top of the show. We've got much more to get into, including the best bet gauntlet at the end of the show. Titans news, which we're about to get into. And I almost forgot to mention, it's a James Foster Friday. So James Foster will be joining us here in a couple minutes. But first, we have got the Titans news with producer JT. Alrighty, we have a whole new injury report to talk about here on this Friday morning, starting with Unroll the scroll. CJ Board, Kristen Fulton, and Dontrell Hilliard all logging two DMPs on the week, so they have not practiced at all. And then we have a couple of guys like Nate Davis and Amani Hooker who were downgraded from limiteds on Wednesday to DMPs on Thursday. Easton, I know we already talked about Traylon Burks, but how about these other guys? Do you think any of them are looking to go, especially like Nate Davis and Amani Hooker? Yeah, so CJ Board, meh. Um, Nate Davis, he's been a guy that's been on the injury report every single week for, what, two months now, and it's been with the same knee issue. I think it's preventative, the fact that he was downgraded from limited to a DNP on Thursday. Friday's report will be the most telling, and even then, if he doesn't play on Friday or practice, that is, I wouldn't be that concerned until and if you hear Mike Vrabel utter his name when he's asked about guys that are questionable or out for the game. I'd expect him to play. With Hooker, I don't know, man. He's been banged up all year. It's been kind of a rough year for him in terms of his health. Um, I've got no indication this week as to whether or not he's truly healthy enough to play. The fact that he was downgraded is not great, but again, I think Friday will be most telling. Alrighty, let's move to some good news. As we talked about in the opening of this podcast, Nico Autry logged back-to-back limited participations at practice. But like we said, we don't know if he's quite ready to go but it is good to see that he's moving in the right direction and then both Lonnie Johnson and Zach Cunningham were designated to return from IR however this leaves only one more spot for reactivation from short-term IR this year they've used six of seven which means that one of Kyle Phillips or David Long Jr. is not returning this year Easton what's your take on who you might see come back and who they might be shelving for the rest of the year Right, so this has been the big conversation today on Thursday, and I think it's caught many people by surprise, myself included, but when you sit and think about it for 10 seconds, you realize this makes some sense. The Titans, now to preface this, if if anybody's not quite sure what's going on here, with COVID, you were able to put guys on short-term IR for the first time, four games, and then they can come back. That was the way you could do it with unlimited players for the past two seasons. This season, they put a limit on it. You can only bring eight guys back from short-term IR. The Titans have used up technically five of their eight spots. They have designated to return right now, number six and number seven. So it doesn't actually count against your number until those guys are activated to the 53-man active roster. It's kind of confusing. You get those guys designated to return. They have a 21-day practice window in which they can practice, and then the team can decide whether or not to activate them. If they activate them, they count against that eight. If they don't, They can't come back for the rest of the year. They've got Zach Cunningham, and they've got, um, who else do they? Lonnie Lonnie, Johnson. Lonnie Johnson, thank you. they got Zach Cunningham and Lonnie Johnson now both within their 21-day practice window. 
meaning in the next 21 days, and they were activated on Monday and Thursday of this week, they can come back and they can be put back on the roster, and that will count against the eight, making the Titans only have one spot remaining. They have done seven of their eight once these guys come back, and they've got two guys on IR in David Long Jr. and in Kyle Phillips, who many fans thought or at least hoped would be back this season. It's made many question, first of all, why would the Titans have brought back Lonnie Johnson? He's not done much this year. He's kind of a secondary or tertiary name on this roster. How much help is he going to be as opposed to how much help these other two guys, that one of which they're going to have to leave on IR for the rest of the season, could have possibly been? When you consider the state of this Titans roster right now, I think this move makes total sense. The Titans have to do more than just consider the quality of player that they have on IR. They have to consider the depth that they have and the help, frankly, that they need at different position groups and weigh that against the quality of players on IR who can come back. They also, and people tend to forget this for some reason, have to consider just how healthy these guys are. You can't magically bring them back once their four week window opens. They have to have been healthy enough to, they have to be healthy enough to return. They have to be healthy enough to actually come back and play or else there's no point in bringing them back from IR. So assuming all three of these guys will at some point this season be healthy. Lonnie Johnson clearly is healthy because they activated him. David Long sounds like they expect him to be ready to be healthy in week 18, but that's no given. I talked to Mike Herndon today and he reminded me that when he was dealing with this hamstring issue last year, he was out for six weeks and six weeks would be the second week, the divisional round of the playoffs, which is no given that the Titans will reach that. With Kyle Phillips, I kind of get the impression and I've kind of been getting the impression for a couple of weeks now. I'm not sure he's coming back. Now, I don't know. Mike and I disagreed on this when we talked about it earlier today. He thinks that Kyle might actually be healthy and has been healthy. And the Titans have just decided against bringing him back because they have more important fish to fry in terms of their limited number of returning spots. I kind of think that his hamstring injury, the vibes that I've gotten from the team and the people covering the team is that his hamstring injury might have been a little more significant than people made it out to be back when he almost came back from his other injury, his back or shoulder injury, I believe. And so I'm not confident he's ever going to be healthy enough to play this year. Either way, whether he's healthy and they're waiting or he's unhealthy and never coming back, I don't think he's coming back. And I think that this team is holding that spot for David Long Jr. Now, if it's the case that Kyle Phillips is healthy and they get to week 18, and David Long isn't healthy still, they may decide, okay, David Long's not going to be back this season. We'll just run with Kyle Phillips. We'll activate him. He's good to go. But not having a spot for both of those guys is not the end of the world. And having defensive backs in there who, again, need I remind you, JT, this is the defensive secondary that made Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram, look like Travis Kelsey last week. 170-some-odd yards, two touchdowns, career day tore them to pieces they can use any help in the secondary that they can get whether it's linebackers or safeties or corners or whoever they need help bad and Lonnie Johnson is one of those guys that they can use in a slot nickel situation in terms of a safety playing up playing big nickel playing some even man coverage on some of the lesser receivers they're going to face that's very important for this team and I think that as as badly as Kyle Phillips is, has been needed on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think that with the idea that Traylon Brooks is going to come back this season and provide that spark, and even with both of them in there, 
Phillips is nice, but Burks is the guy. I think that if he comes back, that's all they really need in the passing game when you're weighing the pros and cons of who you bring back and who you do not. So I think that Lonnie Johnson coming back is is nice for this team. It's a big deal. And I don't think it's the wrong decision that they made to choose him over either David Long or Kyle Phillips, one of which will not be seen again until 2023. And then, yeah, a guy who ate up one of those IR spots in Ole Daney, whom the team waived earlier this week, failed his physical with the Steelers, meaning he's now a free agent. So that gave at least a little bit more clarity on the decision from the Titans to actually release him. I know a lot of people were just kind of, it was a head-scratching move with with all the John Robinson talk. We don't really know what's going on with their roster decisions, but this this gives a little bit more clarity on that one. Yeah, and and I... I was one of the people scratching their head when they made this move because we were talking on the show about how, hey, when Ola gets back, this is going to help. It's going to take some of the workload off of Bud Dupree. It's going to be a force multiplier on the defensive front. It might even help out the pass rush. Ola was great when he was healthy. Now he's not employed by an NFL team, and and life comes at you fast in the NFL. and, And here, here's the thing. This shouldn't be shocking that a guy that they brought off of IR and then immediately got injured again, they ended up having to cut In hindsight, that makes sense, and and we should have recognized that. The fact that they cut him, and then he went and failed a physical, is just confirmation of the fact that, you know, it was actually confused by many. It was reported that he was picked up off of waivers by the, the Steelers for their practice squad. He actually just intended to sign with them as a free agent as he cleared waivers, and then he failed his physical. Either way, he's not physically fit to play on a football team right now and be employed in the NFL. He's, and that's not a fitness thing. It's a, he's injured. His neck injury is is no good. And it's it's been no good all year. And I think the Titans, frankly, decided they had to cut bait because he's a guy that sustained that injury at the very beginning of the preseason before they even played a football game. And it never got better. And so that's a big deal. And um, it's, it's enough to get you canned. And it's unfortunate that Ola was a guy that they used one of their eight spots on. But it makes sense that they used it. And I can't understand people getting mad about this. He was he wasn't unhealthy when they brought him back, people. Like he was he was healthy enough to play, and then he played and then he re-injured it. That's how it works. He's a guy that they took a chance on because they needed desperate, they still desperately need that help on the pass rush front. He couldn't provide it, but it was a gamble worth taking. Let's move on away from this uh, injury talk to talk about uh, something that you brought up here onto Twitter today. The Titans this week against the Chargers will look to avoid their first four-game losing streak in seven years, the last time being 2015 when rookie quarterback Marcus Mariota and interim head coach Mike Malarkey were on the field for the Titans. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I was surprised that I hadn't heard this number all week today when I thought about it. And so I went and I looked and the Titans have not lost four in a row since 2015 when they went three and 13, by the way. So they lost more than just four that year. I really don't think that Mike Ribble is going to lose four in a row. I think that he is better than that. And we talked all week about how three in a row was a new benchmark for him all the way since his first year in 2018 as a head coach. If he were to lose four in a row, it would be his first four-game losing streak of his head coaching tenure. We'll see, though. It won't be easy, and it's certainly within the realm of possibility that the Titans do get their first four-game losing streak this streak this week on the road against the Chargers. Moving on, let's talk about our favorite player here on the podcast, Chiga Conquo, who That's is right. just 10 yards away from setting the Titans' tight end rookie record for receiving yards in a season. So... 
Hopefully yeah, he's going to this weekend, man. I'm playing him in fantasy. You're betting I'm on excited. him. I am betting on him. I think he's going to be great. And yeah, I, I mean, he's going to break the right. He'll get 10 yards this weekend. Um, it's just a matter of how well he does for my fantasy team. But he's been a big deal for this Titans team in the passing game. And if they continue to utilize him, and it sounds like they're finally bending the knee to the public outcry, please play Chig, throw to Chig. Even Ryan Tannehill is saying he wants to get Chig the ball more. I think that he's going to become a big part of this offense, and I'm excited to see it. Another Titans favorite who was in the news this week, Brett Kern, who was picked up by the Philadelphia Eagles after on that uh, questionable trick play, kind of wacky play last week where their punter got hurt against the Giants. Brett Kern was picked up by them, so he's going to get a chance to make a run at a ring. Of course, he was beaten out by Ryan Stonehouse for the job earlier this season, so good to see him back in the NFL. Yeah, good for Brett. Exciting for him that he's going to get to chase a ring to kind of cap off what has been a fantastic career already. Um, great guy. I got to not cover him. He, unfortunately, this is my first year covering the team on the beat, that is. And so um, I never got to meet him in a football setting, but I did get to meet him and his family uh, about a year ago at a restaurant when I bumped into them. And he's a great guy, really nice guy. I'm excited for him. He's waited around and he's going to get a chance here at the end of his career to get a ring to cap off a fantastic run. So I, I wish him the best. Finally, just because we have to, let's take a look at where in the world Dennis Daly ranks this week amongst offensive linemen. And to no one's surprise, he is still dead last, maybe even more in, like, dead every last. Category. Um, our friend of the show, who we will talk to right after this segment here, James yeah. Foster, updated his statistics on Daly's sack percent allowed record, in which Daly has moved from a 2.8% to a 2.93%. So he is trailblazing that record right now and i don't think it's gonna get any better i know it's not going to get any better he's he's a disaster and he remains a disaster there's not much else to say titans at left tackle really they went from taylor one who in his last five games healthy allowed two pressures and zero sacks to a guy in dennis daly who in his last four games has allowed seven sacks and countless pressures just a dramatic 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 drop off at one of the most important positions on the entire field on the other side of the ball. Hard to come back from that. Hard to be great on the offensive line when your left tackle is Dennis Daly. And that's all we got today. All right. Thank you, JT, for the Titans news. We now transition into the namesake of today's show. It's a James Foster Friday. So we were going, we are going to welcome in James Foster to the show. Before we do, though, if you have not subscribed to the show, what are you doing? You need to be subscribed. You also need to leave a rating and a review. We would love to have, consider it your Christmas present to the show. We've provided you content for free this year. And in thanks to us for doing that, you can go on Apple Podcasts or, and I didn't know this, JT, apparently you can leave a review on Spotify. It's not a written review, but a five-star review. You can leave a starred review. So please do that. Whether you listen on Apple or Spotify, on Apple, leave a, leave a review, a written review, and we will read it off on the air, whatever it may be. We will also shout you out if you leave your name or your Twitter handle or your Instagram handle or whatever. Leave your socials. We'll give you a follow. Tell all of our hundreds of listeners to give you a follow. And we can't wait to hear from you. It means so, so, so much more to us in being able to sell the show and see the increased success of this show if you can leave a review. It, it it's really going to take you 10 seconds. You can scroll down right now before you pick your next podcast when the show's over. Just before you leave the podcast page, scroll to the bottom, you hit five stars and you're done. It's that easy. So we appreciate you doing that in advance. We can't read to read. We can't wait to read your reviews. 
All right, let's get into our conversation with James Foster of A to Z Film Room and No Flags Film. All right, it's James Foster Friday, and so we welcome back into the show our friend James Foster of A to Z Film Room and No Flags Film. James, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Talking about Titans Chargers this weekend, and of course, it's an interesting case study, the Chargers game this past week against the Dolphins. We saw the Chargers defense look much better than it had at any other point this year, or at least in recent memory, and a, a big credit has gone to their head coach and, and Brandon Staley's ability to kind of pull the right strings in that one. It, they made the passing game of the Dolphins look pretty bad. Do you think that that performance by them was something that was manufactured by great coaching or players just stepped up? And do you think it was kind of a fluke or was there some some quality of, of that performance that makes you think it might be something that they can do going forward? Well, I, I think um... – that game against Miami was one of Brandon Staley's best coached games defensively right. since gotten to LA. Um, you know, you look at the communication that they had in quarters coverage and all the different variations within the Staley Vangio type of defense um, that, you know, that communication and execution is really starting to, um, you know, match the level of detail that goes into the scheme and, you know, so even with a, a, a shorthand, you know, in terms of injuries, um, you know, they were able to, I think, kind of expose Miami's offense. It'll be interesting. You know, Tua has definitely surpassed my expectations, but it'll be interesting right. to see, um, you know, if that performance kind of levels off throughout the rest of the season. Now, it's interesting, this matchup between the Titans and the Chargers, because I think you could argue it. it's kind of a bad matchup for both teams or maybe a good matchup for both teams. It'll be an interesting one in the sense that the Chargers don't really want to run and the Titans love to use their run defense. The Chargers passing offense is going to be more than a handful for the Titans secondary to handle after they made Evan Ingram look like Travis Kelsey last week. On the other hand, the, the Chargers aren't the very best in terms of run defense, and the Titans obviously want to run the ball well. That's how they built their identity. Who do you think has the upper hand in this matchup in terms of strength on weakness? Um, well, you know, I think for run defense, I would still probably give the edge to Tennessee. There's a lot of question marks. I mean, I'm I'm honestly the last person to ask about injuries. But, you know, they were playing Foster Serrell at tackle, who I remember was like a five-star bust from back in 2015, 2016. Um, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of no-name guys that I see popping up whenever I watch the Chargers offense along the offensive line. Um, and so, you know, I think that the Titans' run defense has been – you know, the, the stats have sort of leveled off, but I think the actual performance will kind of regress back to the mean and they'll um, down the stretch, you know, kind of be a, a pretty above average to good run defense um, in terms of passing the ball. Yeah. I mean, without, you know, give me the injury update on corners. Obviously there's no Christian Fulton, right? No Fulton. Yeah. You've got um, Dontrell Hill or not Hilliard. Goodness. You have um, Trey, Trey Avery is the guy I was trying to think of. He's looking like he's trending towards being out of concussion protocol. So your guy might be back out there. You might be able to see him 
raise the level of the the cornerback room. Um, I'm forgetting who else is even out there at this point on the injury so, report. So it's gonna be um, so it's gonna be McCreary and then I assume Terrence Mitchell on the outside. Oh, that's right. He was on the injury report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrence Mitchell. He's uh, he's been limited, but it, there's no indication that he's not going to play. So I think it'll be he and Mitchell and uh, and potentially Avery if he gets cleared from concussion protocol. Yeah, I mean, the, the Chargers receiving weapons have been decimated by injury like the rest of their team. I mean, the Chargers and Titans are very similar until recently, though. They've got those guys healthy. Right. Yeah. But just in terms of the fact that it seems like their good players are never on the field. Yes. Um, you know, Roger McCreary has really struggled down the stretch he's i think out of 130 corners he ranks third worst in epa per target um i was looking it up third or fourth worst um and you know it's interesting with roger mccreary because in the beginning of the season i thought that his play wasn't as great as maybe some other people were um you know i think there was kind of this general feeling that Oh, Roger McCreary is a slam dunk pick already. Right. And I was kind of saying pump the brakes. I mean, he's it's it's not to the extent where you should be worried about Roger McCreary, but he is getting beat a good amount. And, you know, what I said at the time was watch the rest of his season. I bet he'll improve and, you know, the the high level play will maintain, but he'll get beat less often. And that has not been the case. He's been getting mm. beat more consistently. Um, and, you know, you see it in that that touchdown that Trevor Lawrence had, I think, was it to Zay Jones? Just, you know, right in the over, corner where it went through his right, hands? Right yeah. over the top. Um, but, you know, not just that play. Look at a, pretty much any time that he's been down the field playing the ball at the catch point. The lack of length and just overall kind of dominating physical stature is very apparent with Roger McCreary and he's going to have to make up for that with just tighter coverage, you know? Um, so I think that the, the second half of Roger McCreary's rookie season has been kind of discouraging. And I think you combine McCreary and Terrence Mitchell. Those are two players on the outside that I think the chargers have the weapons to exploit. Yeah, so even if Avery's back, you, you'd still anticipate those two being the outside guys. I would. I don't. I don't think Terrence Mitchell has played at all in the slot. Um, gotcha. I can go check his snap count right here. Um, but yeah, Terrence Mitchell is usually their outside guy. So yeah, he has 17 snaps in the slot, 344 outside. Um, Something that, that has kind of become apparent to me this week, and, and this isn't really news, but th- this season, it's it's been a real issue for the Titans secondary. Whenever they faced big physical receivers, it's been really apparent how they lack physicality and they lack size. This is a team in the Chargers that has that in spades, right? They've got a couple of really big body, really three big body receivers that they can throw to. And I think that that might come up in a bad way for the Titans this week. How do you, is there a way besides just having bigger, more physical, more capable cornerbacks? Is there a way that you can counter that physicality from a defensive standpoint? You know, I think um, there's nothing specifically to deal with like big contested catch receivers because 
you know, I guess anything that you would ad- uh, that you would do to address a number one receiving threat, um, you know, would be effective to pretty much no matter what their play style is. Right. Um, I think it does kind of it does speak to you know an area that I've sort of grown in my criticism of John Robinson, which is how he's handled or how he handled the defensive back room. Um, outside of Caleb Farley, it's a lot of marginal athletes that were mm. drafted, you know, into the defensive back room, like Christian Fulton, even who was a great pick, um, incredible value in the second round. Why he fell is because he's kind of a limited athlete. You've got Elijah Molden, who's a terrible athlete. Um, yeah. You know, Roger McCreary, who's border, probably bad athlete, I would say, um, you know, and then Trey Avery. I mean, is Trey Avery the most athletic guy in that room? Yeah, no, I mean, like he he might be. He would probably run the the fastest three cone um, yeah. in the defensive back room, unless I'm blank. Unless they have you know some track star on the nobody that would never plays right. Josh Thompson, maybe. Um, right. But yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the trade off, I guess. When you go for more undersized guys, they're going to be quicker, stickier in man coverage, but once you get to the catch point, they're, they're going to kind of get mossed a little bit. I don't think Christian Fulton, I wouldn't call it call getting mossed or, you know, getting out physical, whatever. I wouldn't call that a long-term problem for Christian Fulton. Uh, if you look last season, he was actually really, really effective at the catch point kind of, and I, I don't have the numbers right now, but kind of an insane percentage of, you know, contested catch situations he was in, he won last season. Um, especially just defending over the middle of the field, he was completely shut down. And so I think he's kind of Christian Fulton has kind of gotten a bad rap, just had some fluky big plays that he gave up. There was that touchdown against green Bay where it was like, you know, they were getting guys off the field. Didn't even know if it was going to be a play. And then they throw up a jump ball, right. Um, You know, kind of had a couple busted coverages and stuff, but I think on a snap to snap basis, you know, Christian Fulton is, is pretty solid, but yeah, I think overall, you know, you know how much I value uh, drafting cornerback position. You do. Uh, right. it, you know, it's not just drafting them. Like it, it really, that is really one of the most important positions that you have high end athletes. I want to talk about Dinico Autry and the importance of him to this team. But before we get to that, I want to ask about the Titans newest and maybe best wide receiver on the team. And that's LaRaven Clark noted wide receiver who uh, came in and uh, it was an eligible receiver last week, a number of times as an extra tackle for the Titans to help out on that left side with our old friend, Dennis Daly, who continues to be terrible at his job. When you watched the film, um, you know, it was kind of a wrinkle that they'd thrown in. It was the first indication that they were trying besides just chip help. That is not helpful to Dennis Daly at all. He still gets beat with chip help. That was the first indication they are trying something new over there. Was there anything from the film that showed you that it was effective? Um, are, are you talking about the chip help specifically? No, I'm talking about having Raven Clark come in as, as an extra tackle on that left side. Was it effective at all when you went and watched the film or, or was this still just a disaster? Yeah. The thing with Dennis Daly is that he just, he has such limited range as an offensive tackle. And by range, I just mean like how much distance can you travel in a you can't cover much space short yeah. amount of time. So it's like, if he's, that that's why really bad offensive tackles like guys who should not be starting or really even playing that's why there's sort of a point of diminishing return with chip help because 
you know, you saw that on on the um, the strip sack that he gave up. He's he's still you know cheating in towards the inside because I guess he thinks he has help to the outside, and so he ends up um, giving up the outside. A lot of times, you know, with chip help, it'll um, it'll knock the the rusher off kind of their uh, initial trajectory, and that quick movement is enough to get him beat inside. Um, you know, so I think that I think the way that you help Dennis Daly, unfortunately, has to be just like with straight up double teams, um, you know, not chip and release, but, um, you know, devoting another guy out there uh, to, to help him out. Unfortunately, if you're a Titans fan that is wanting Dennis Daly out of the lineup, he actually had probably his best run blocking performance. Oh no. I think, you know, if, if he was on the the hot seat or on the tipping point of getting benched, I think that uh, his run blocking performance might have bought him a a couple more weeks. Yeah. And it's interesting when they talk to the media talks to uh, offensive line coach, Keith Carter about, that position and the potential of Dylan Raiden's getting a chance out there. He continues to just reiterate, Oh, are you talking about Dylan? He's definitely a guard guys. I promise he's a guard Raiden's like, that's how he, that's how he approaches the the concept right. of Raiden's playing on the outside. They have no interest in moving Dennis Daly out of there. All right, back on the defensive side of the ball. And this is our last question today. A lot has been made in the last month and and we've talked about this already before, but Danico Autry is the linchpin for this defense. And it's interesting with him coming back in the next week or two or three, he's been practicing a bit this week. I'd kind of be surprised if he went, but if he does, it'll be in kind of limited fashion. He's been so impactful for this team this year, even on the wrong side of 30 and the splits with him without him have been astounding. I mean, this team was averaging, I think almost three sacks a game with him. They've had three total since they lost him. What is it about him that makes him such an irreplaceable player for this team? Um, maybe is there like another player in the league who you think is a good comp for the role that he plays for this Titans defense? And and what is it about him besides just being a stud and a good player that makes it so hard for the Titans to really operate on defense without him? All right, the comp, I might, that's a good question. I'll have to get back to you unless one pops into my head. Okay. I think the biggest thing with Danico Autry well, you know, number one that, that's not really specific to him is that he's just another player that can win one-on-one matchups as a pass rusher. So when you have Jeffrey Simmons at full strength, you know, he's going to get the double teams, and then that means you've got Danico Autry singled. Um, but I think specifically to Danico Autry, it's how quickly he wins, how violent and quick he is with his hands, and then the foot quickness, um, ability to bend back to the quarterback, flash into the pocket. And so you know, that's, that's really, it's the fact that they can create all this commotion and hectic with the other three players. And then Danico Autry can win his one-on-one block quickly and get to the cornerback, get to the quarterback, clean everything up. Um, Also the fact that he's really effective on stunts. When you're the penetrator on a stunt, you're not necessarily trying to beat the offensive lineman one-on-one. You're basically just trying to like you know, gather as much, gather as many players as possible, influence as many blockers as you can so that the loopers can come free. Uh, And he's really good at that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that just everything about the Titans defense and how they want to operate 
you have to have these, you know, you have to have pass rushers that can win one-on-one to an extent. If you're not going to blitz and if all you've got there is Jeffrey Simmons playing 50% and getting double teamed, and then, you know, you've got the rest of the edge room and defensive line room that can create pressure at times, but just doesn't do it consistently. You know, it, it just, it, it makes every part of their defense less effective. It makes the coverage look worse because the quarterbacks have longer time to throw. And if, you know, if you're trying to be optimistic about the Titans, which I'm not really, but um, if, if you are trying to, Danico Autry coming back, being fully healthy, um, you know, that's, that's really the best argument that you can make, I think, is that Danico Autry will, along with Jeffrey Simmons getting more healthy, getting healthy right. will, you know, bring this pass rush back to where it was through the first half of the season. And they can sort of ride the defense and try to knock off a couple of playoff teams. James, what have you been working on this week? Where can the people find your work? Yeah, I uh, our YouTube channel is A to Z Sports Film Room, and we do four to five videos a week, including one Titans video. I'm working on sort of a more uh, a broader video talking just about really everything, every part of the Titans roster and um, you know coaching staff included that has caused them to lose these next three games. I am kind of, I'm waiting to see what happens in this Sunday game because, you know, if they win, then might they, add to your resume here. Right. Yeah, man. That's, that's the difficult part is like, I, you know, I went from making one video a week um, before this job and then, you know, now I'm doing four or five. And once you get to Wednesday or Thursday, it's like, okay, it's you're, you're on the clock. Like, hey, are these narratives about to change? Like, I don't want to say, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah is a, an MVP candidate. And then, you know, he throws four interceptions, four right? Interceptions exactly. The same yeah. well. So yeah, um, definitely trying to just avoid the snarky comments. <laughs> but <laughs> Not yeah, to take anybody check, off. Right. Um, definitely go and subscribe on A to Z Film Room and uh, follow me on Twitter at NoFlexFilm. All right, James, we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week, man. Be good. Have a good one. JT, it's that time of the week, my favorite segment. It's the best bet gauntlet. We have got a good one today. And by a good one, I mean one that we don't love. Um, It's one of those weeks where it's kind of some ugly, ugly games across the board and some tough picks. But we have poured over the numbers, poured over our options. And I've got a list here, as long as you don't steal all the ones that I want, of some picks that I I think are, are winning picks. I know that they're sharp picks. They just take a little bit of uh, holding your nose. But uh, we've got a review of our scores here before we get into it. Uh, do you have that pulled up? What our record Yeah, is? so, uh, of course, on a fantastic week for both of us. Uh, we both right. would have gone 4-1 last week if Kyler's ACL didn't sell on me and my pick on the third play of That's the Monday night game whack. last week, unfortunately. Whack. But I currently am now back down slightly under 500 at 32, 33, and 5. And Easton still riding high on a 37, 30, and 3. Yes. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the best bet gauntlet. And JT, you get to do the honors. What is your first overall pick? So with this first pick, there's a lot of just ugly games here this week. But I think one that I kind of like it and I expect it maybe to even get that hook of three and a half. I'm going to take the Steelers here um, in a game where the Panthers are coming back home off a very good victory over the Seattle Seahawks, who are currently playing right now. And 
are on a little bit of a fraud watch, to be honest, uh, um, coming down the stretch here. But I am basically making this pick solely off of which defense I think is better. And of course, the Steelers defense getting TJ Watt back, looking a lot better. Kenny Pickett is finally starting to kind of develop some type of chemistry with Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Not to mention that this Carolina defense is a very poor run defense, which the Steelers like to do a lot. I expect this game to be close and I expect the Steelers to keep it close. So I'm going to take them plus three. All right, I like that pick. With my first overall pick, I'm going to ride with the Motor City Kitties. Give me Detroit getting a point and a half on the road against the New York Jets. The reasoning here is simply that I really don't think that Mike White is all that healthy after getting beat to a pulp last week against the Bills pass rush, and their backup is no longer Joe Flacco. I think he's going to actually be inactive for this game. It's going to be back to Zach Wilson. And if for some reason he takes a hit or two in there, Mike White has to go down and go out. I love the idea of getting Zach Wilson in there to face this red hot Detroit team. They are rolling right now. I think they'd be like 7-0 if they'd hung on against the Bills on Thanksgiving in their last seven. They've been so, so good. They've looked super, super... um, just not not even solid but dominant in their past couple weeks against some teams that you know aren't necessarily great but against the the vikings who were 10 and were 10 and 2 at the time are now 10 and 3 and the jaguars we just saw the titans get beat up by they're no slouches and so i think that detroit here's the other angle by the way statistically If Detroit wins this game, their odds of getting to the playoffs increase by like 75%. Like if they need this game to sneak into the playoffs, and I think that they know that, and I think that they're going to get up for this game. It's not indoors. It's not in the dome. So with Goff throwing the ball, that can be a little concerning. But I think they get up, and I just think they're a better team than this Jets team right now. If, If and unless the offense doesn't find a spark with Mike White that they were missing last week. I don't think that they will. I think that him being beat up and them being a little bit down for the count and trending in the wrong direction is going to be too much for them to overcome. Give me Dan Campbell and the Motor City Kitties. With my second pick here, um, once again, going with the Homer take here, and I'm taking the Bengals at minus three and a half. And we were talking a little bit before the show that this line seems a little bit of it's a, a trap. trap game. It it's could a trap. be a trap game here, but I mean, we all saw the performance. Tom Brady just does not look on the same page of his receivers with his offense. This running game, even though they have Rashad White in this piece, looks kind of sluggish. The defense is finally starting to show some flaws, both through the air and on the ground. I like the Bengals, who have one of, if not the most high prolific offense in the league to just come in there and kind of do a lot of what the 49ers did last week. Give me the Bengals minus three and a half. And also, if I can just add on to another statistic, the Bengals are now in their last, I want to say, seven games or six and one against the spread, even better. You'll be on your own with that one. I'm not going to be riding with the Bengals in that one. I think it's a trap, but you're welcome to take your homer pick. I am going to, with my second overall pick, ride with the Atlanta Falcons. Plus four. They are on the road against the division rivals, the New Orleans Saints. I'm really just riding with the um, the unknown here 
You've got Desmond Ritter coming in for his first game in the NFL. I think that he's going to be up to the challenge. And I think that he can't possibly be a downgrade from Marcus Mariota. I think that with them coming off of the bye this week and Art Smith having two weeks to prepare, knowing that Desmond Ritter is going to be his guy moving forward, going to need to scheme some things up for him. I think that they do this week, and I think that he looks good against a Saints team that won't be ready for what he brings to the table. I think that this Falcons team also still has their eyes set on potentially sneaking to the playoffs. They're still, I think, just a game back in their division, if not tied for the lead. I think that they're 5-8. and eight. I know that they're 5-8, and eight, and I think that's near the top, if not the top. They're one that game horrible. Back. Okay, so one game back of that horrible, horrible division. They get a win here, and they are right back in it. Assuming the Bucks lose to your Bengals, I love, love, love Atlanta in this spot. They won the first game outright. I think that they might win this one outright as well. Give me Atlanta getting a full four points. My third pick here, I am going to take the Miami Dolphins getting plus seven going into Buffalo. And it really comes down to two words here. Snow game. Snow game. Everywhere you look right now, it's a classic Buffalo snow game. And people are kind of trying to determine, is this going to be three inches of snow? Is it going to be nine inches of snow? Who knows right now? It's trending towards nine, but we have a couple of Buffalo natives who have been telling me that it could very, very on the minute. However, if it comes down to this, I think that Buffalo has not fared the best in these games. And if they have won, they have not won by a lot. So I'm fully banking on this because it's a snow game. It's going to be very much on the ground here. Buffalo doesn't have that great of a run offense, even though they've tried to get it to look better down the stretch here. I like Miami getting the full touchdown. See if we can get this to the hook seven and a half. But I like them going in here, keeping this game close. All right, with my third overall pick, I'm going to ride with the team that is not the sharp pick this week, but I think this is a sharp trap, and here's the reason why. I'm going with the Cowboys, minus three and a half. I don't love that they're laying the hook, but I think that Jacksonville, who they're playing, by the way, in Jacksonville, is going to be the popular side. I think that I might get it down under the hook, might get the flat three. That'd be great. I think that for the second time this year, people are too high on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that Trevor Lawrence and this team are very close to having arrived, but I don't think they're quite there yet. I think they're very, very close, and I think that next year will be their year. For now, I kind of think that they're capitalizing on an inflated sense of success and quality of team based on the fact that the Titans turned the ball over four times last week and were able still in the first half to run all over them with Derrick Henry and a run game that had been struggling. This Dallas team is coming off of a game where they almost blew it to the Texans. And this is kind of the nature of the Cowboys. They are a very up and down team. They tend to play way too close against certain teams and then murder teams out of nowhere. There's kind of no in-between. I expect this to be a buy low spot on the Cowboys after a bad performance in Houston last week or in, in against Houston in Dallas last week. They're not going to have any trouble going to sunny and beautiful Jacksonville. I'm sure the weather will be great. And I think that that two-headed monster in the running game is going to eat against this bad Jacksonville run defense. I think that Trevor Lawrence is due for a bad game. He's If you look at his PFF statistics this year, he's very up and down, up and down, up and down. He had his best game of his career last week, so I kind of think that he's going to come back down to earth a little bit against the Cowboys. Give me the Cowboys to win by, I think, a touchdown. With my fourth pick here, I'm going to take the Patriots going in to Las Vegas, getting a point and a half. And JT, this talking, one's weird. This, this one is weird. very weird. And 
we were talking before the show, um, and Ethan, you pointed something out that was very interesting to me, and it comes down to this. Do we think that Bill Belichick is going to let Josh McCown beat him? He's not going to let Josh McCown beat him or Josh McDaniels. Neither oh one. <laughs> Josh McDaniels, I said it, it came out of my mouth, and I was like... That you're thinking about right. you're thinking Regardless. about future, future Houston Texans head coach Josh. Yes, McDaniel. that is correct. Different Either guy. Way, yes. But yeah. McDaniel's just I, I, I just don't think that Belichick no is going to come into this game. He he's had he this kept circle. his team. He's had his team stay out after the Arizona game. They didn't come back to New England. They said we're staying out here on the West Coast because they're locked played, in, man. They're locked in. I think Mac Jones has been playing a lot better as of late, and I think yes. he's despite kind of, his horrible coordinators. Really, it, it's been very abysmal for him with Matt Patricia. However, I think this is a good spot for the Pats to keep buying them here as they kind of ride this hot streak out on the West Coast. So give me the Pats. I like that pick a lot. And another thing is the Raiders, having lost last week, their playoff chances, dreams, and hopes have been crushed. They're dead. They're not They're not going anywhere this season. And I think after that demoralizing victory, it's not going to be one of those things where they bounce back this week. I think that they may just be dead for good this year and might pack it in. All right, with my fourth overall pick, I'm going to take them, and it's a it's an auto bet. I've been saying it's an auto bet all year. I am scared. I'm scared about this one, but the numbers don't lie. I've got to go with the Titans plus three against the Chargers. Mike Vrabel, so I believe he's now 27 and 10 in his career as a three or more point underdog. So he's an auto bet when they're a dog of three or more. I think that LA is going to be the popular side. So I expect that I'll get a three and the hook at three and a half at some point before Sunday's late afternoon kick. And I think like we said earlier, the Titans haven't lost four games in a row in seven years. I think that they understand the importance of this game. And I just trust the quality of this team. Some of the players on this team, the resolve that they've shown in the past, the the ability to come together they've had in the past, as well as Mike Vrabel's ability to coach up his team to get a win on the road. In SoFi, the Titans have had a lot of success in the past. They beat the eventual Super Bowl champions in SoFi on Sunday Night Football last year. I don't think that travel will be any concern for them. So I like the Titans to cover the three. With our final pick here, you thought we were going to get out of here without a head-to-head. Not today. We no. continue to roll on with. Have the we gone a certain? Have we gone a single week without a head-to-head? I don't think so. I, I think, don't think so. I think we have not. But yeah. this week, it's going to come down to probably the biggest game of the week in terms of playoff implications, and that is going to be the Giants and Commanders game. Of course, I am going to be taking the side of the Giants plus four and a half. I just think it is a divisional game here where I'm getting more than a field goal. Last, need I remind you that they tied last time? I think the Giants are in a very big rut here, but know how important this game is. Saquon kind of tore this team up last time, despite them having a very good defense and a defense that is kind of been up and coming. However, I think even though I have to respect the hind goat, he has been on fire for a little too long. I expect him to regress just a bit, which is why I think it's going to be a close game, which is I'm going to take the four and a half. All right, and that means I'm going to be on the other side of the coin here with the hind goat. Give me Washington minus four and a half. It's really this simple. Washington got to play this team and then go on by and then play them immediately again. The Giants had to play this team. They tied. Then they had to go play another division rival who's pretty good this year, the Eagles in Philadelphia. 
and then they're going to come back and host this Washington team. I think that that is a massive, massive, massive advantage for the Washington Commanders. The fact that they've gotten to study a team that they just played, study their own film, and make adjustments and rest, whereas the, the Giants had to play a really ugly game against a team that's way better than them. I love the Washington Commanders in this game. I love their chances, and they know that they need to win this game to make it into the playoffs. I think that they do. I think the Giants continue to fall apart. All right, so that's our best bet gauntlet week 15 slate in review. JT is riding with the Giants plus four and a half at the Commanders. The Steelers plus three at Carolina. Miami plus seven at Buffalo. The Bengals minus three and a half at Tampa Bay, and the Pats plus one and a half at the Raiders, all away teams, I just realized. The uh, the picks for your boy Easton here. I've got Detroit plus one and a half at the Jets. Washington minus four and a half against New York. Atlanta plus four at New Orleans. The Cowboys minus three and a half at Jacksonville. And the Titans plus three at the Los Angeles Chargers. Only one home game on our entire slate this week. Yeah, it's, it's kind of bizarre. Washington, the only home team, and that's only uh, as a result of it being a head-to-head for us. So we love the road teams this week. Let's hope that we can have a big 9-1 and one this week for the, the squad and, and get everybody back above 500 and make some money. Hope you guys bet along with us. And if you did, tweet at us. Let us know what you agreed with, disagreed with. That's going to do it for today's show. We appreciate you listening on this beautiful Friday. Hope you had a great work week and are ready for the weekend. We're getting close to Christmas, so it's getting to be that time of year. Go watch a Christmas movie with your family or just watch some good football on Sunday. Of course, the Titans play the Chargers. Need I remind you, it is going to be an afternoon game, so make sure that you don't get too excited too early on Sunday. You're going to have a nice, comfortable, early slate of red zone for you to watch before you get to watch the Titans in a very important one in LA. Until then, I think I'll save any other ramblings and sellings. If you want to advertise with us, please reach out. We'd love to talk to you. If you're not a Broadway insider, become one. Go watch the Mike Herndon Show. All that good stuff, all that jazz. Subscribe to the show. We appreciate you. Until Monday, when we review the Titans and the Chargers with some winners and losers, I am Easton Freeze for producer JT. You've been listening to the Hot Read Podcast. Have a fantastic weekend.